Thanks for the greetings, Yunhee. Uh, friends, uh, welcome to the second week in our series, Looking at the Goodness of God. At a time when there's now been something like four and a half million deaths attributed to the coronavirus. And so it's a time when many people, people young and old, are asking this one question, where is God? What, what is he doing? And central to that question is this issue of, of what is God's relationship to this? Does he stand directly behind the coronavirus? Did he do this? And if so, is God still good? Now, this is not a new question that Christians have had to face. And I don't think it'd be too much of an exaggeration to say that most pages of the Bible actually speak to some degree to this question of the problem of evil. And so it's not a question that is foreign to the Bible. And even for books like Job, for example, you could even argue that that is actually its main theme. And so it's surprising to me, at least, that we sometimes come across Christians presenting what I would classify as unbiblical answers to the problem of evil. Uh, One of those is to simply reject God's control. A significant theologian, David Bentley Hart, has argued somewhat recently for a position that he calls provisional dualism. Uh, He does this to try and defend God's goodness. And so he says that things like natural disasters, and when he was writing, he was referring to the Boxing Day tsunami. He attempts to defend the goodness of God by saying that natural disasters, they are not God's will. But rather, he lays the blame on the existence of evil powers and authorities that oppose God, which passages like Colossians 1.16, Galatians 4.3 and Ephesians 2.2 refer to. And so for Hart, it's not God who did it, it's the evil powers, the evil authorities. Now, look, there is more nuance to his position, but I guess the question we have to ask is, can we really do this? Can we deny God's utter sovereignty over all things, and so deny his control over evil? Well, no. Uh, We we can't do that. That's not the way to defend God's goodness. The Bible could not be clearer. God is utterly sovereign. He is control of everything such that nothing happens outside of his will. And so, how does the Bible instruct us to view this relationship between God and and evil. Well, I've titled this talk, God's Goodness in Judgment, and that's because right at the heart of this question regarding the problem of evil is God's judgment. And what I'll be suggesting is that once we understand what God is doing in this world by way of judgment, and once we see how His judgment is actually an expression of His goodness, we'll actually be in a much better place to make sense of the problem of evil. And so that's where we're going today. Just a heads up, you might find this talk to be a little hard going in places, uh, certainly compared to last week. And that's really because we're going to wade into some fairly deep theological issues and we'll do it fairly quickly. And so don't be too concerned if you're finding it a little hard going at times. It's not you. Um, Hopefully it's not me. It's just that this is actually a tough topic. With that said, let's jump in to a central question, and that is, what do we do with death? Again, with over four and a half million deaths in some way linked 
to the coronavirus. This is a key topic for us right now. And so why does God allow death? It's curious, isn't it? We heard last week that God is good and that our good God made this good world. And so why does death exist? What's it doing here? Well, the first thing to say is that God is more powerful than death. We saw that so clearly in the way that Jesus deals with death in our first reading. Because in Matthew chapter 8, verses 1 to 22, Jesus has three encounters. So, three encounters with those who in first century Palestine would have been considered to be as good as dead. And so, a leper who would have been ostracized because of his condition. Another lying paralyzed and resembling a corpse. And finally, a third who was sick with a fever, which in those days suggested you were close to death. Now, Jesus' response to the living dead, it is emphatic. Effortlessly, Jesus overcomes death as he instantly heals their afflictions. I think these are some of the most beautiful verses in the Bible. But let's put them into context, because in the storyline of the Bible, these verses, they don't just show us that Jesus is more powerful than death. What he does here is actually linked to a broader movement in salvation history in which death is defeated once and for all. Now, how do we see that? Well, notice the quotation of Isaiah 53, 4 in Matthew 8, verse 17. That is super important. What Matthew is telling us by linking Jesus' healings with Isaiah's prophecy is that Jesus is the long-promised servant of the Lord. And that is huge. Because what Isaiah promised was that through atonement, this promised servant would restore God's people from their state of sickness. That this promised servant would defeat death once and for all. And so, putting all of this together, according to Matthew, Jesus' healings were just a foretaste of the great restoration that was to come. The first fruits of the great climax of history in which death will be no more. And so what we see in Jesus' earthly ministry is more than just his utter power over death. Jesus is the one who will destroy death forever. And so where are we up to? Well, we heard last week that God is good and that death is an enemy that God in Jesus will ultimately overcome. And so why does death exist at all? Well, as we think about this, we need to return to the moment that God himself instituted death. And what we'll see there is that even as God did that, even as God introduced death into this good world that he'd made, God views it as an enemy to be defeated. So let's take a look at Genesis chapter 2, verse 16. There God says to Adam, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Now notice that when God fulfilled this threat, He didn't desire that outcome. This is critical. God didn't desire that Adam sin, and God didn't desire that death would enter the world as a result of Adam's sin. See, God doesn't hate the death of his creatures one day and then desire it the next. That is not what is happening here. God's judgment on humanity's sin 
must be seen for what it is, and that is God's good and just um, judgment on sin. Um, To put it another way, a key theologian, Henri Blocher, he put it this way. He notes that God hates death. But then he goes on to say, but once sin has appeared, death is something good in terms of its relationship to the satisfaction of justice. And so we're starting to see that death in and of itself, is not a big challenge to God's goodness. Rather, it was instituted by God as a good judgment on our sin. Now, what does that mean for us today? As we reflect on the sheer number of deaths that have come from the coronavirus, as we reflect on the seemingly indiscriminate nature, the randomness of those deaths, what does that mean for us? Well, Jesus himself provides us with the right perspective. In that second reading in Luke chapter 13, and we're zooming in on verses 4 and 5, when hearing about the death of the 18 people who died when the Tower of Siloam fell, again, another case of a seemingly indiscriminate loss of life, Jesus instructs his listeners to reflect upon the consequences of humanity's corporate sin but then to consider one's own need to repent. And so I wonder, has the coronavirus caused us to do that? To think about death. To think about why it exists and why we all need to repent. Well, I hope that it has, because to death today is one of those really taboo topics. Uh, We're very uncomfortable with death. We don't like to talk about death. We don't like to think about death. And we only really do it when we're forced to, when we have a a near-death experience, or when we're awaiting a, a potentially terminal medical diagnosis. Even at funerals. I, I go to my fair share of funerals. And what do we get at funerals? Well, so often they are a celebration of life but we don't talk about death. We don't talk about how awful it is, how evil it is. We ignore it. It really is the elephant in the room. Yet Jesus tells us to reflect upon death, to think about why it exists, to think about what it says about us. And he tells us to do it in the hope that we would repent, that we would turn to the one who has come to overthrow it. So there's one challenge for us this morning. Friends, have you thought enough about death? In our world today, it's almost like God is yelling at us saying, death, it's a thing, it's inevitable. Think about it before it's too late. Well, we've seen how the existence of death doesn't challenge the goodness of God, since death is a good judgment on our sin. And I say good judgment because judgment is good. Tash was sort of picking this up in the the family time this morning. But judgment is good. We long for justice. We don't like it when evil triumphs. And so we want things like theft, rape, murder. We don't want those to go unpunished. Of course, it's a bit harder when we're the bad guy. And yet, 
That's the reality. God is good. He can't ignore evil, and so he can't ignore our sin. He is just and will always do what is just. But friends, that is why Jesus is such good news for us. We can be forgiven because King Jesus died in our place. Now, God doesn't just forgive. Uh, He doesn't just forget. He can't. He is a just God. Sin must be paid for, and it is for all those who belong to Jesus. Because when Jesus died on that cross, he didn't die for anything that he'd done. He died for us in our place. He, He paid the penalty for the sin that we did so that we can be forgiven, all of us. We can be forgiven for everything that we've ever done wrong if we repent and believe in Jesus. That is the good news. But if we don't accept this gift, then the Bible is clear, and that is hell awaits. And hell, eternal death, that too will be a right judgment. Because those who are there, not only have they rejected the God who made them, but even in hell, they will continue to reject him. See, it's not as if suddenly people change their minds when they get to hell. No, no, they'll continue on in their rebellion. They'll continue to reject the God who made them, which is the most evil thing that you can do. And so, friends, unless you want to face the good and right eternal judgment of God yourself, turn to Jesus. Well, death, it's a good judgment on our sin. But what does that mean for the goodness of God? Well, it raises another even more fundamental question, and that is, well, why did humans sin in the first place? Where did this evil come from? Was the world made to contain evil, or were humans made to contain evil? Well, actually, the Scriptures speak very firmly against those two possibilities. As we saw last week, the world that God created, it was good. And humans were said to be very good. Ecclesiastes 7.29 tells us that God made man upright. Jesus himself said that in the beginning, humans did not have the hard hearts that they now had in his day. And so the Bible is super clear. The presence of evil in the good world that God made, well, it stands out like a a sore thumb. It's bizarre. It doesn't belong there. It doesn't make sense. Which is to say that we're not given an explanation for the entry of evil into God's good world. But that in and of itself is not a reason to question God's goodness. We are finite and fallen, and so all of our understanding and knowledge will be partial and limited. And so there will be things which this side of heaven that we don't understand, that we can't comprehend, and this is certainly one of them. But perhaps more challenging is the question of the ongoing presence of evil in this world. So things like natural disasters, things like pandemics. Can we still affirm God's goodness in light of these ongoing evils? Well, as we explore this, we need to take a closer look at the doctrine of providence and specifically at this question of of whether God stands behind good and evil 
in exactly the same way. Now, one might presume that since God provides for all, in the sense that God preserves and governs all of His creatures and their actions, then God must stand behind both good and evil symmetrically. Which is to say that one might assume that because God is sovereign, He is to be praised for the good, but also blamed for the evil. However, whether God willed or merely permitted evil has been a very contested issue right throughout church history. Uh, John Calvin, for example, encouraged those who believed that the universe was governed by the stars and comets. He encouraged them to remember that there is no erratic power or action or motion in creatures, but that they are governed by God's secret plan in such a way that nothing happens except what is knowingly and willingly decreed by Him. Now, in context, Calvin is arguing that God decreed all things and This led Calvin to criticise the way that some of the church fathers employed the language of permission. If speaking of God permitting evil functioned to deny God's sovereignty, then according to Calvin, it was too weak to stand. Now, on this point, Calvin is very much in agreement with the Scriptures. God is sovereign over all things, including evil. For example, Isaiah 45, 7 declares that it is the Lord who brings prosperity and creates disaster. Amos 3, 6 criticizes those who do not realize that it is the Lord who brings disaster upon a city. And so in light of God's emphatic sovereignty, well, Calvin was, to, was right, I think, to reject the language of permission if it was being used to deny God's sovereignty. However, let me suggest that to completely reject the distinction between what God wills and what He permits, just because some have used it to deny God's sovereignty, would actually be a major loss. And Calvin himself resisted this temptation. He argued for a hierarchy of causes in which God was always the first cause amongst an order of secondary action, or agents, I should say, with the end result that Calvin himself would speak of God permitting Satan to act. Well, where does this all end up? Well, let me suggest that this distinction between what God wills on one hand and what He permits on the other must be upheld if we are to be faithful to God's revealed character, which is to say that right throughout the Scriptures, God stands behind good and evil asymmetrically. Don Carson put it like this. He said, the manner in which God stands behind evil and the manner in which He stands behind good are not precisely identical for he is to be praised for the good, but not blamed for the evil. Now, I'm sure you've seen that on display in the Scriptures. God is praised for the good, never blamed for the evil. Indeed, Jesus is presented to us as not just the enemy of death, but of sin and suffering and all that is evil. He is the enemy of all that is bad. He's never blamed for it. And so does the ongoing existence of evil challenge the goodness of God? Well, it doesn't, because the actions of evil agents are not to be understood as precisely what God desires. Again, there is a sense of mystery here. Again, it comes from our our finite and our fallen nature, such that there will be things which this side of heaven we can't fully fathom. But what we must do, I think, is what precisely what the Bible does do, and that is to distinguish between what God wills and what He permits 
in order to uphold God's goodness in a world in which ongoing evil exists. Now, there's more to be said about God and ongoing evil. Because even though God permits evil, in his sovereignty, he uses the results of that evil for good. Now, where do we see that in the Bible? Well, recall how Joseph's brothers sold him into slavery. That was an evil act. And yet the result meant that God's people were saved. Joseph himself says to his brothers, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Put simply, the example of Joseph and his brothers demonstrates that while the action itself remains evil, God uses the results of that evil action for good. Now, while that specific example doesn't involve natural disasters or pandemics, the same logic can be applied, which is to say that while we can be very negative about the coronavirus, and we certainly can and should be, it is a great evil. We should view it as something that God permits rather than something that he wills. But at the same time, we mustn't think that this pandemic is somehow outside of God's plans for this world. Rather, God will use this evil despite its evilness for his good purposes. Meaning that in line with Romans 8.28, in these difficult times, we need to remember that God works for the good of all those who love him as he conforms us to the image of his son. Now, how do we do that? How do we acknowledge that there have been good consequences from the current pandemic? Well, I think we've been really helped to do this over the last few weeks during church. Uh, We heard from Lauren Chu, we heard from Alec Rispin, Amanda last week, as they shared what has been good for them during this time. Or even last week, I encourage you to spend some time thanking God for his goodness to you. How'd you go at that? Were you reminded about the value of some of the things that you now miss so much, things that perhaps in the past you took for granted? Things like the value of meeting face-to-face as a church family, the conversations, the encouragements, the prayers. Or the value of personal connections, family, friends. The value of certain places, the beach, the parks. There are so many things that we miss at this time, things which are good, things that are valuable, things which perhaps we took for granted. Or perhaps you've learned about the value of things that you've only started to do during this lockdown. Perhaps the value of reading good Christian books. Perhaps the value of taking a bit more interest in what your kids are learning at school and connecting with them at that level. Perhaps you learned the value of exercise and recreation, that they are God's good gifts to us, which in our busyness we can tend to neglect. Perhaps you've learned the value of not being so busy. Uh, Recently, I've certainly had so much more time, particularly in the evenings. We're not rushing kids off to soccer training or music lessons or whatever other countless commitments we used to have. And so one thing that we've been doing as a family is every couple of nights we'd have a a small fire in the backyard in in a fire pit and we'd sit around it, we'd talk and we'd roast marshmallows. And that's been a really good time for our family. Things 
Actually, we didn't do this before. We just didn't seem to have the time. We are just so busy rushing about. But now that we do have the time, it's good and we thank God for it. Or perhaps you've learned the value of not having to work so much. Now that you're working from home, you might do your eight hours, but you don't have that two-hour commute anymore. And so you do have more time, you've actually learned to use that well. Maybe you're reading the passage from the Bible that you're looking in Bible study that week beforehand. You're having a bit of a think about it. Perhaps you're doing things around the house that you just didn't get round to, those things you kept putting off because you just didn't have the time to get to it. Or you're being more present with your family because you're just not as tired. And so in all of these ways, while the pandemic is evil, God has brought good from it. But of course, at the same time, we need to acknowledge that for some, it is very difficult to see any good consequences from the coronavirus. Maybe your work is actually busier than ever, especially if you're in healthcare, especially if you're a teacher. Or maybe trying to keep your small business afloat in a time where there are no in-person customers is just a nightmare. Uh, It may be that the loneliness of this enforced social distancing is just getting you down. And so for you, maybe it is hard to see how there's anything good that has come from this pandemic. All you want is for it to end. Which is to say that for some, their experience will be like Job. Simply not able to understand why God has permitted this evil. Uh, Well, if that is you, then your challenge is to trust. To trust that God is providentially bringing about His good plans and purposes, even though right now for you, you have no idea what they are. Friends, we're actually going to think more next week about how God in His goodness shapes us during difficult times. But let me finish with a reason why we know that evil will not ultimately derail God's plans and why we can accept the element of mystery when it comes to the origin of evil and the ongoing presence of evil in this world. It's because we know how this story ends. It's because we know that God has been working right throughout history to defeat evil once and for all. Now, that's a story that reached its climax in the death of Jesus on the cross, when God in Jesus took on flesh, suffered and dies, and then rose again. Now, why is that event so significant? It's because in that, we witness the profound goodness of God. We saw His love for us. We saw His utter goodness to us. As the good Creator, in the person of his son, suffered for his people, so that, as Hebrews tells us, through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil. And so God has already disarmed the rules and authorities. That's Colossians chapter 2. God has already won the decisive victory over sin, death, and the devil. And so we know God's love for us. We know God's utter goodness to us, There is no better, more convincing demonstration of that. And so what does that mean for us today? Well, it doesn't mean that as Christians we are unaffected by evil. No, that's not true. 
We all suffer. Everyone's doing it tough during this pandemic. But what it does mean is that the decisive victory has been won. And now all that remains is for God's victory to be revealed in all its fullness. And when that happens, when Jesus returns and the new heavens and the earth are unveiled, the thoroughly good and perfect world in which death will be no more, what it means is that we'll be there because of Jesus. And so, friends, be sure of this. There is no greater evidence of God's goodness in the face of evil than his costly victory over it. That's how we know that God is good. It's because in his son, he has defeated evil once and for all, and he did it for us. And so what's the challenge for this week? Well, whenever you wonder, why me? Whenever you think to yourself, how long, O Lord? When this great evil, this virus is really getting you down. Know that it won't last forever. Know that the victory over evil has been won and has been won once and for all. And know that God is good and will be seen to be good. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, there is so much that we don't know. Often we're left wondering why. Why me or why my friend? Why this virus? Father, as we struggle, help us to remember that you do love us. And so help us to remember Jesus, who showed your love for us when he died for us. And Father, help us to remember that evil will not reign and that you have a beautiful future in store for us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.